Welcome back to Canode Knows, the second best BMX podcast in the world. <clears throat> in 2010, I was sitting in my dad's computer room, emailing a bunch of BMX companies looking for an internship. And the only one who replied was Adam22 at the come up. And he said, you can get an intern for me, Canode, come out and stay on my couch. So I went out to Long Beach, spent what I think was like three or four weeks filming, editing, hanging out, learning how to make blog posts and doing an internship for the come up, which I had no frame of reference for. I had no clue the business end of it. I just knew like I checked to come up every day, so I'm gonna go out there. And I, it helped propel whatever status I had in BMX with my internship video part back in 2010, 2011. And uh, yeah, boosted whatever career I had in professional, pro not even professional, whatever, you know what I'm saying. <clears throat> and uh, Adam was the nice one out of the, out of the bunch that I stayed with and I enjoyed him kind of showing me the showing me the ropes of making blog posts and just having a good time. We partied, we rode bikes, we filmed. It was a good time. Uh, since then, we've gone and we've had different lives, and he's one of he's grown to be one of the most controversial podcasters in the world, which is a uh, pretty crazy to think about because I know him from then, and then I did research for this episode because I haven't been paying attention to the Adam Twenty Two world, but Jesus Christ, dude, I was like researching everything, and I was like, okay. Um, so Adam, what do you want to talk about? I had fun. I, I think like in his world now, like you don't get much opportunity to just geek out about BMX shit. So when I asked him to do the podcast, it was almost like, yeah, right, dude. But he said, yeah. So here we are. Uh, Adam 22 on Canode Nose. Before we get into it, go to rarsuperfoods.com and get yourself some green superfoods. Rarlife.com. Not rar superfoods, rar life. Use promo code Canode for 15% off and get healthy for 2024. Oh, I meant to ask him about health. There's so much shit. I had like 27 questions lined up and uh, it just kind of flows a little bit. So it's wild to actually talk to a professional podcaster. Like you could tell Adam can just talk, which I'm sitting there. Sometimes he'll be answering a question and I'm like, holy shit, this is a professional podcaster right here. He's the first, you know, pro talker that I've had on. So whatever, enough rambling from me. Rar Superfoods, Adam Twenty Two. Here's Canode Nose. Enjoy. Oh, hey Adam Twenty Two. Hello Canode, how you living? I'm living great, dude. <clears throat> I, uh, you know, I'm happy. I'm healthy. I'm sexy. I'm glowing. What more do you want? You know? Big sexy. Big sexy. Although I don't think I have the constitution to be in the world you're in. You know, mentally or physically, I don't think I got it. It's not for everybody. <laughs> Um, I don't even know where to start, dude. I wrote down a bunch of shit. I'll give you the choice. You want to start BMX, family, no jumper? Let's talk bike riding, man. That's Let's what go. I really get Let's to get talk right into it. I'm, I usually ask this question last, but what's your, who's your Mount Rushmore? Oh, dude, I was thinking about this the other day. Like For me, on a personal level, George DeSantos, Edwin, Chase DeHart, and then, like, maybe Brandon Began. Damn. I like In terms that. Of, like, yeah. my favorite riders throughout my life and, like, the people I just, like, at any individual stage of my life I thought were the dopest. Now, obviously, that's, like, my list. It's not the best riders. It's just, like, the people I enjoyed Fuck yeah. throughout my life. Yeah. And it's almost, like, chronological. Like, it, George DeSantos and yeah. uh, Edwin. George D was it. Until yeah. Edwin came out, and then it was like, oh, damn, George, I'm sorry. I still fuck with you, but you got glasses. This dude's from Brooklyn. He got a little <laughs> bit of extra swag. 
I don't know. My favorite writer, writer title might have had to get passed to him. I'm sure George would understand. <laughs> Super fucking influential. All of them. What about the other option you were thinking? Like, if it's not your personal, what's the objectively true answer for Mount Rushmore? Well, I feel like that goes outside of my wheelhouse because it's like I wasn't around to witness Matt Hoffman's contribution or even somebody like Mira. I kind of like started writing maybe like a little bit towards the end of his reign. So, you know, and, and how do I stick Bob Haro in there when like I don't know of him as a, a pro rider? I know of him mostly as like a guy seeing old footage of him and I watched interviews with him, but it's like ultimately... I'm always more drawn to towards like a personal top five or, or Mount Rushmore rather yeah. than I, I wouldn't say that I'm really like capable of ranking the most important riders of all time. Because like even my, my top four, like why is Van Homan not on it? I love Van Homan. Yeah. But like super influential to me, not as much as like the guys I named. Well, you just answered it without trying. You just answered it by not answering it. You said not Bob Har or I couldn't say Bob Harrell. How could I know? Bob Harrell, Matt Hoffman, Dave Mira, Van Homan. That's pretty pretty close to objectively like there's obviously not an objectively true one but that's damn close like those first three especially i think the van homan spot has changed with a couple of people's different answers but yeah that's and everybody has their own personal flavor that's the more but like okay when we talk about in hip-hop when we talk about like the greatest rapper i mean we usually like if we're being objective it kind of all comes back to drake because nobody's been as big for as long drake and yeah. yeah like just had like the the biggest like career in terms of like sales and just being number one and then like i i would say garrett reynolds is the is the drake really or maybe even if you want to like expand outside of that you go like jamie bestwick or something because it's just like dudes who just dominated their genre of riding for a fucking ridiculous portion of time so long like garrett i can't believe he didn't pop into my mind when i was thinking about that fourth spot but yeah it's that's a tough one dude I remember I went on a nation BMX trip in 2006, maybe. And Garrett was on the trip and he was like 15 and just watching him ride on that trip and like seeing him truck driver, like a 13 stare a bunch of times in a row to get the photo. And I was just like, what the fuck? This kid is like 15 and he is the best rider I've ever seen in my life. And then that just really bore out over time and really proved to be accurate. For real. That it, I really admire Garrett. Like the, the longevity is huge. Like you, I don't, I don't know if he gets enough praise for that alone. Like he gets all the praise for being the goat and well deserved. But to be doing it this long, this consistently, this good is incredible. Same with Dennis Anderson too. Like those yeah. those dudes are nuts. Um, speaking yeah. of people that you've seen in person, tell me. Like I think I'm trying to think about like your first impressions meeting Stevie. You're like because you whether it was you or just you know under oss obviously that's you the era of like stevie and brandon was like nothing else with the combination of hicks and everything involved but what was your first i'm curious about like you first meeting stevie and what that was yeah, like that was like the very tail end of me being in new york where like maybe in 2018 or 2019 People from Connecticut, you know, Stevie was kind of like under Jeff Martin, like Jeff Martin kind of taught him to ride and stuff. And like people would just kind of bring this kid. I remember the first time I posted him on the come up. I think he did a hop 720 kind of yeah. sketch, but he, he had like one edit that was just like him doing a ton of tricks that nobody was really doing. And he was like 15. And then they brought him to New York and he went absolutely crazy riding wise, but then also was like drinking heavily. 
on that trip, even though he was super young. And I remember he like passed out on the floor in my, in my roommate's bathroom in my apartment. And I didn't really like understand, uh, man, we should have probably tried to nip that in the bud, but, uh, <laughs> you know, he was just, he was kind of out of control in that regard, but he was also just like riding so crazy that you could kind of ignore it. But then I think like, then, you know, me and a bunch of people like Alex Platt and Mike Mastroni and stuff, we kind of all decided to move from the East coast to long beach at about the same time. And then once we were out there, it's like Stevie was on volume. So he was kind of like coming through and just sleeping on the couch. And you remember that girl Ozfest? He was like hanging out with her. This is like the era where you were, uh, intern yeah. or whatnot. what year did you move out there? I think 2010. And then, yeah. yeah, he was coming out a bunch and just riding and stuff. And then like, I remember, when he got on federal, we had the conversation about like him coming out to Cali for the, for the winter because he didn't want to spend it in Connecticut. And he basically was like, yeah, like I'll move out and we could just film all winter and shit, but I, I need to bring my boy Began. And I had met Began cause I went on a merit trip like the summer before in like 2013 or something. And I had met Began. And even though he was young as shit, he was like 18. He was like super good at riding at that time and just had so much style and so many new tricks. And, uh, so I was like, yeah, yeah, that'd be sick. They both moved out. And then we pretty much spent like the next year, next couple of years, just pretty much riding every day. And, uh, that was around, I guess that was when we were filming for, um, the, the, their edits, like their first on some shit edits. And yeah, those were like really good days because I mean, I don't, I, I don't think I've seen a BMX rider bigger than Stevie since that time period. Like he was just so popular and the kids were losing their fucking minds about him. And it's just very rare that you could have a BMX rider who's so popular that every time you put him in the thumbnail of the video, you don't even need to put his his, his name in the title or anything. But even just him in the thumbnail was like, boom, like five times as many views as you were expecting. And it was just kind of out of control. And we had so much good, so many good times around that area. And we were doing tons of vlogs. And like, I mean, the, the good side of it and the bad side was that like, we were partying pretty much everybody involved was like drinking and having a good time. And like Stevie was like the one person who was kind of out of control with the drinking. Like he just kind of couldn't like compartmentalize it the way that a lot of, a lot of us could. And so that whole era kind of like went off the rails at a certain point and just kind of stopped being cute at a certain point. Yeah, it always does dude. It's And it's crazy thinking back to like being young and drinking and then getting up and riding the next day. Like, it's it's crazy that it's possible but thinking about doing that now like party the night before and then get up and go ride is just not gonna happen dude i'm just i i ain't i ain't young no more yeah i can't even imagine like going out partying and then coming in here and sitting and having conversations for three four hours never mind you know having to do something taxing with my body but i have memories from back in the day back then when i was probably in my early 30s and we would like drink four loco and do coke and then try to go riding the next day and i would just remember like you know, doing a couple of feeble 180s and feeling like I was going to have a fucking heart attack. That was, <laughs> yeah. that was rough. And that, that was the beginning of the end of me just realizing I couldn't really put my body through this anymore. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's, I, I don't know how Stevie's doing right now, honestly, but I hope he's doing all right. I can relate to not having the stop button. Like I, after four or five drinks, I'm just like, let's drink until infinity, you know? And I, I've, I've seen Stevie, you know, outside of a bar late at night when we're both fucked up and Oh yeah. Give him love, but <clears throat> it's a, it's your own little battle. Have you heard anything? How is he? Um, we talk a little bit every once in a while, or I like kind of hear about him from certain people. He's, he's definitely back in Connecticut. I'm not sure if he's really riding. He had a bunch of clips in the, uh, 
in the uh the rec- on some shit video we put out but yeah overall i don't really know i mean we were in new york for a week and i was part of me was thinking like oh what if he hops on the train and comes out here but didn't happen like last yeah. summer what's um what's the latest with oss like grant put together domino which was pretty dope um you know what i've always wondered is with your oss videos you're picking the music like are you just giving grant a playlist like make the video to this like how does the because i know that those are your two worlds hip-hop and bmx so kind of makes sense in my head that you would almost dictate the at least artists or vibe how does that work do you collaborate with them i remember because like the the like mastroni picked all the music for football and that really pissed me off but i didn't like <laughs> i didn't really pick the fight you know i was just kind of like okay whatever i'll just let you use whatever music you want and so he used like multiple acoustic fleetwood mac songs and like naturally some rap song but i had never heard I didn't, I didn't even know who the rappers were and like me as a huge rap fan i was kind of annoyed by that but then when you get into the era of like ruin your whole summer me and charlie were much more like on the same page in terms of music or even remember that Denver Nugs uh trip video that we did I was much more involved and like made sure that we used Juicy J uh uh who the neighbors and, and which was like the most played song of that year but then you fast forward and you get to the point of like this uh Domino video and stuff I don't think I had any uh input in terms of what music was used I just wasn't really like trying to jump in there even though like I I always kind of liked on some shit as a brand just sort of using like edgy weird hip-hop that wasn't really like mainstream yet like i remember using like gucci main um in like 2013 and like uh i think it was fred murray or whoever was blogging for dig at the time like basically saying like uh that the the music was terrible that like stevie's section was awesome that the music sucked and like then then we went through the whole era of us using bones and xavier wolf and chris travis and all them in every video yeah. and so many people who hated that shit um and then even like, I remember we had like a don't quit your blowjob edited to Lil B. And I remember having to read like a million comments of people hating us on, on us for that. <laughs> don't quit your blowjob. I forget about, I forgot about that. But um, I always kind of liked the image of the brand using a lot of like weird edgy hip hop. But then as time went by, like, you, you know, some videos now, like everybody's using like post-punk and hardcore and like they've kind of gotten away from that, which is good. I think because for a long time, I remember like, waking up every morning to post videos on the come up and like everyone would just be using the same fucking songs over and over and over and it was just so dry and boring so yeah. i appreciate seeing uh you know i i didn't want to like jump in there and like tell the people editing the video what songs to use just because like i'm sort of out of bmx so i don't want to act like i'm necessarily the guy who's got the the vision for exactly what the best bmx soundtrack should be yeah i hate <clears throat> it's actually like you talking about getting hate on the songs and that's like one of the most i don't know i think it's valuable like if you don't make people hate it then nobody's gonna love it and you want to play it safe then you're just in the middle but if you use a song that's like polarizing i'd say that's better like that's i don't know <clears throat> i remember doing that dude i used uh sexy and i know it for ballman's welcome to shadow like forever ago and i edited the shit out of it to this song like put everything into it and then I loved it. Ballman loved it. He he was like, I don't know if they're going to love this song. And I had to go back and forth with Ronnie and Ryan for like a couple of weeks. I even like threw in a different song and I was just like, no, nah, this is it. It has to be it. And so it's still one of my favorite things because it's a very hateable song. Yeah, that's one of the hard parts of uh, owning a BMX brand is that whoever you hire to do the videos for you is just not going to want to listen to you about what music. <laughs> yeah. 
views no yeah. matter what. yeah so i kind of just like chose to stay out of it in terms of the more recent video stuff well i think uh grant's smart and he did like a a good service with the the songs he chose which is dope yeah. What is it? What does it look like running OSS? Like, how involved are you in that? Like, day to day, does that even come up on your plate? Like, I'm so curious about your, you know, life and like you got a team going on. You know, I talked to your publicist, Laura, yeah. and like just having that interaction was so interesting. Knowing you being the guy that's like cooking scrambled eggs and telling me to wake up in the apartment in Long Beach, like get get the fuck up, Kanoad. I'm like, dude, let me sleep a little bit more. I'm a teenager, man. Uh, um, yeah, I got a crazy team around me. I got 20 full-time employees with just no jumper. And then, but yeah, in terms of awesome shit, like how much am I really involved with it? I mean, I was still going riding from time to time up until the point where I had a kid. And then that started to feel kind of unfeasible. Um, so do I have much to do with it? Not really. I'm just kind of, I meet with like the designers and the team and talk about ideas and like stuff like that. But for the most part, I would say that Phil is just kind of doing whatever in terms of the team trips and everything like that in terms of the dvd like he kind of called the shots on like when it would come out when it was actually done and everything uh that's the weird part about having kind of like a bigger business is that at a certain point it just kind of becomes like impossible for you to focus in on the details and so you have to like instead of like trying to micromanage you kind of just have to put people in charge and then hope that they are able to like put people under them and do well and build shit. But you know, it's just like, it would be totally untenable for me to try to be the guy who's like picking the banger for the video or like, <laughs> you know, like really yeah. micromanaging the soundtrack and shit like that. It's just like, I don't really find the time to be able to focus on smaller things, I guess. Yeah. No, it's, you know, delegating. Like I'm in, it's a, you know, not BMX or your world at all, but seeing uh, these real estate guys that I've been around for a couple of years now and seeing like growing companies and then it's just putting people that you trust into positions and then letting the rest happen. So it seems like, it seems like Phil's doing a pretty good job. Like what's the, I'm curious about what the budget is for putting out something like Domino. Like, do you, you pick, here's I'm 20, here's too. 20 grand. <laughs> I'm curious too. I have no fucking clue. We've <laughs> done for years for it. So realistically it's a lot more than 20 grand, but I don't know. I mean, you get because like those those trips end up being like ten grand or or more. I would say on average. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know, like what the vision is. It's like, on one hand, it should definitely become a more profitable venture in order for us to keep paying for the trips and stuff. But then at the same time, it's like I don't know. I get a good feeling out of just knowing that I'm like having this team and that they're all going out and having fun and that the you know like even when I went to the premiere, even though it was maybe like, I don't know, 200 people there or some shit, it was just like a really good feeling to sort of see how many people still care about this stuff. Since that was like the sole focal point of my life was just doing BMX related stuff for like 20 years until I like sort of somehow stumbled ass backwards into a different opportunity. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty wild like pivot that happened that I can only imagine like, Oh shit okay, I'm going this route for a little bit, you know, like the Xavier Wolf interview pops off and then, all right, let's go. Yeah. Right, let's, let's stay on BMX. I want to talk about, um, the fuck I just had one. <laughs> uh, God damn it. I mean, the, that era of kind of like going from riding BMX every day. Cause like the weird thing about it is that I had been grinding 
the no jump or the the come up youtube channel for like years at that point starting in like 2012 i kind of started to realize that the blog was not really like what it used to be in terms of importance and that everything was sort of moving towards social media and then that caused me to start vlogging and doing bmx podcasts and then somehow doing that like opened the door for me doing podcasts outside of bmx and at some point that just i don't know it's like i was really starting to experience success with the bmx vlogs like i finally had started to hit like ten thousand dollars a month from all the the culmination of like putting out so many vlogs and like that was the the exact month where i finally hit ten thousand dollars a month which had been my goal for a long time was the exact time period that no jumper started to like become such a big opportunity that i couldn't really ignore it anymore and kind of needed to start focusing all my time on that which I, <laughs> I always look at that as like such a critical juncture in my life you know yeah that's huge wait is this before adpocalypse like the 10 grand a month like cause yeah because was... i remember i remember when no jumper got hit by the adpocalypse we were making like almost 50 grand a month and then it turned into 50 it turned into five grand like overnight like instantaneously Oof. it's so wild like that was brutal it feels like the money you're making is just not in your control even though like it is your shit like youtube could just be like nope and then that happened it's wild um I know oh, I was... their youtube channels demonetized like in the past couple months who all of a sudden just were making like 100 grand a month and then all of a sudden it was just gone and they just had to figure shit out from yeah. there and that's why i'm always very cautious of taking on a lot of set expenses because you just kind of never know like we 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 make a significant amount of money from facebook and about a year and a half ago we lost our facebook for like a year we lost monetization so that was like instantaneous million dollars plus worth of income that we missed God. out which you know you just can't prepare for that kind of stuff and then meanwhile like the the mortgage on the building that we're sitting in right now is like 20 grand a month so it's like you know, I, I definitely just don't want to land myself in a position where my expenses are out of control. And like a lot of these revenue streams are a little volatile. Like we've consistently made money from YouTube since 2018 or whatever, after the apocalypse, when shit started to get kind of normal again. Um, but we've just kind of like always been able to figure out how to make it work. But I just, I'm, I'm deathly afraid of like having this crazy, uh, you know, amount of money that I have to hit every month, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> Big nut. Um, big nut. Big nut, dude. Rest in peace to Big Nut. That's a guy? Yeah. That's a, that's a rapper? I don't know about Big Nut. He was fucking Fonnie Willis, the uh, the district attorney in, in Georgia, who's prosecuting both Donald Trump and Young Thug right now. Big He's Nut. A street dude. Rapper. I know a lot, about, a lot of weird things. He wasn't a rapper. He was a street guy. Big Nut. YSM Nutty. Is that him? Probably. No. Yeah. fucking interesting um like i'm i you know many many questions about different periods you, you're there's too much shit to talk about with you but i like i one thing i'm curious about is the the peak the come up i remember us sitting on your couch in long beach and kind of being like all right let's do the intern thing and you're like all right can it'll show you and you made a blog post and showed me how to do it and i just had no frame of reference for like this is even a business you know i thought you were just kind of running a blog and I think from like the little research I did on you, like it, it wasn't tremendous, but at the, the come up's peak, according to the internet was like a hundred grand a year, I think like from ad revenue from different BMX companies. Is that, what was the model? Like at the come up at its finest, what was the, 
model of that business? So yeah, I started in 2006 and like the business model in the beginning was like basically just trying to get BMX companies to give me like 150 or 200 bucks a month. And, uh, at first we had no advertising for a long time. And then like, I, I remember like Ronnie and Moeller kind of hitting me up and wanting to do it. And they were, they were down cause it was pretty cheap and everything. And I just, I, I kind of just had like the most ridiculous amount of traffic coming into the blog. So I thought it was pretty easy or it was pretty obvious, like, you know, pitching that. And I think, yeah, like there, there was definitely years there where about a hundred grand a year was what I was making from, uh, the come up. And then, yeah, over time. I saw that number starting to fall off a little bit where, you know, we were kind of like slowly raising our rates, but then BMX advertisers were kind of falling by the wayside. Cause you got to remember like 2006, when I started to come up, BMX was like really still in its heyday. Like everybody was still experiencing the complete bike money for the first time. Like I remember fit going nuts with the complete bike and then everybody else followed behind them. And then all of a sudden, like, and this is like the era of like Aaron Ross being the biggest rider and selling 5 billion pairs of grips and <laughs> just every other signature part. And then like around that time, 2018, 2019, 2020, it's like you slowly kind of started to see BMX falling off a little bit where the companies weren't making such crazy amounts of money. And I, I remember when I started, it, it was like, we were posting about a new frame company, like every day, like every, every couple yeah. of weeks was a new frame company, which I think is pretty funny. I heard Moeller say this the other day, like, where's the new frame companies? You're like, you just don't see it anymore. Nobody is trying to get into that business. And, uh, yeah, like as time went by, I started to realize like, oh, I could probably like, if I really want to like make more, I, I pretty much have to turn to YouTube. And I was just treading water, making like a couple grand a month for a long time until the interviews and the, and the vlogs really started to work. And I really kind of started to figure out like a good, balance between personality and actual riding and obviously adam lz was a huge influence with that shit back in the day because i mean he was like the most popular rider i might have ever seen in my entire life and meanwhile was like absolutely despised by the fucking industry yeah uh, we, we all recall the uh the great stranger debacle of uh 2014 maybe yeah and uh when everybody left the team all at once because Adam LZ got added. But like, you know, I did, I grinded the fuck out of that shit for a few years there. of just like constantly trying to make it happen. And that also though was probably part of what sort of had me like burnt out on making BMX content was just like grinding out a vlog every single day was just kind of brutal, especially combined with like drinking and going out and stuff, especially when, you know, people are coming into town and it's just like, I'm taking them to skate parks. I'm taking them to like the same 20 spots in LA that you're able to session during the day. And it was just kind of getting old. And there was just a point. And also I was experiencing shit physically where my body was just starting to hurt more and more. And the injuries were kind of racket piling up. And I just like, couldn't really ride on the same level that, that I wanted to. Like, I remember even, even up until like 2013, 2014, whatever, I still felt like I was learning new tricks pretty consistently and that was keeping me really engaged with the bike ride and stuff but as soon as i felt like i wasn't progressing anymore and the the content creation side of it was getting kind of boring for me and all of a sudden i had no jumper which like just seemed like it had way more limitless potential that was when i kind of just had to take a step back and then also it just became like the store like my my time was just so uh valuable every day at the store in terms of just like non-stop rappers and celebrities and personalities showing up and i'm i'm making vlogs every day and interviewing people and every day i hang out at the store i'm meeting a bunch of people that i can do content with and you know at a certain point i just kind of looked at my life and i was like oh 
you've been riding bikes for like 20 years and it was great but realistically this this new challenge just seems like it's it's probably the thing that is going to keep you excited about life moving forward you know yeah big time <clears throat> i have that internal thought a lot of like all right when is you know because i kind of obsess and zero in on one thing at a time and it's like i know that bmx can't last forever i won't let myself keep doing i mean i'll do it for fun as a hobby but like to focus in, finish a full length, do the podcast. Like it's, it's like, I want to switch to making money. So, and these are, that's so fun and I love it, but it's, a, uh, it's, it's hard to get myself sometimes to, all right, I'm, let's go do that stuff for hours and hours that I know I'm going to make $0 off of, but I, I do love the shit, you know? No, so, totally. And, and the lack of money is enough to make nearly anybody kind of bail out at a certain point like i was hearing magoo and and moeller talk about that on that that fucking monster of a podcast that they did with fudger that i listened to a couple of weeks ago or whatever yeah and, uh, which was amazing by the way and i have a shitload of respect for magoo and i didn't really uh realize how much torment i put him through uh at that time period not that i really gave a fuck at the time because for me the fact that i thought that snafu was gay was pretty much enough for me to completely like just want to obliterate them at that time in my life but <laughs> you're a monster <laughs> yeah yeah i didn't give a fuck like his feelings never entered into my mind at all just because it was like oh this brand is lame we must we must use it for content which is it's a lot what youtube is like these days as well it's like people are always just kind of trying to tear people down or whatever but i mean mm -hmm. it's true like nobody nobody gets into bmx these days because they want to make money from it bmx oh, is yeah. left with whoever's passionate about it that hasn't sort of bailed out and gone to do something else you know yeah which and is kind of sad but it's, it's they, you keep seeing them fall off like it just you know every every once in a while i'm like oh yeah where's that person and then oh they're gone you know and it's like i don't blame them it's it's fine i would i would quit too and everybody, what? when I look at Instagram and I'll see somebody tagged on like a throwback post, I think it happened to me yesterday with uh, Kelly Bolton, who I hadn't thought about Kelly Bolton or seen him in at least probably a decade. And I just seen like they posted a clip of him doing like a wall ride barrel roll from 2006, which I don't remember at all, but it was fucking sick. And he, uh, I click on his page and he's a mountain bike dude or like a, a motocross dude or whatever. I forget, but like, same thing with Christian Regal, same thing with Mike Taylor. Like when I see all these people who are like sick shredders at that time period, very likely they just kind of end up converting to uh to doing stuff with bigger wheelbases. And you know, when I when I look at the younger generation of kids, like it's just you're way more there there are BMX kids that are doing sick shit. And there's dudes with weird ass styles that I'm super excited about. And like um, but then more often than not, when you're like scrolling through Instagram, if you see some 12 to 15 year old doing a crazy trick, they're probably on a scooter or a skateboard. Realistically, these yeah. days it yeah. can be kind of hard. To it doesn't accept. it doesn't quite reach like, you know, the masses. It's a, we're in our own little niche within the niche of bikes. Like the niche of bikes is pretty small alone. And that includes road bike, mountain bikes. And then BMX is this tiny little dot in it. And then within that tiny little dot, there's like clicks of like, here's the core industry dudes and street guys. And that's cool. And that's not cool. The world's so fucking small. It's like, it's a tough one. What would you do if you were say as like good as uh, Matt Ray, what would you do to make money to like, how how do you how would you go about making money as a BMX pro if you if you could I don't know magically become one yeah like me being me if I had Matt Ray's bike skills I would probably just be like a YouTuber slash influencer slash personality because like I remember seeing that MLZ shit happening and just realizing like 
okay, this is the model going forward if BMX riders want to actually like build something because the amount of money that he was able to make at that time was just like monstrous compared to everybody else. I think you just kind of like have to make it about your personality. And it doesn't mean that you have to be this like super corny as vlogger guy, which that, that was the problem at the time is that like Adam LZ's cringe, uh, content was super cringe. And then like, when I look back at my content around that time, it was like probably unnecessarily cringe. Like you could kind of do the vlog thing without making it super lame, which I see all the time because, you know, cinema will put out a, a, a banger five minute video and then they'll have like, what is basically a vlog of all the guys, hanging out i don't none of those dudes were trying to do that shit back in the day you know dakota yeah. was not signing up to be part of a vlog back then like <laughs> now it's kind of more accepted because you have so many well even the, but just the vlog thing in general is kind of fallen by the wayside in bmx but i feel like you have to sort of create this overall brand and personality around yourself like even when you look at brad sims you know he's kind of done it where he went and got an agent and he convinced all these companies to invest in him to basically you know be able to ride and do something with his identity but yeah i mean that's a lot of work to bite off whereas like being a pro rider when i was a kid you just literally rode bikes and like hoped that somebody would kind of point the camera at you but back then it was like so unbelievably uncool to be self-promotional whereas now with social media i mean that is the only option is that you have to just relentlessly promote yourself and and maybe i wouldn't even be the best person to be figuring out what the best path is for a young BMX rider because I still have some of that shit in my head that if I see a dude land a trick at a uh, nitro circus and then he shoves his fucking fist in the air, it goes through in my brain like, oh man, what a loser. What a <laughs> but that's not like you can't think that way in this modern age. Like you have to celebrate yourself yeah, because there's, else, there's no magazine to do it for you, you know? Yep. It's a mindset switch. And I think I have it too a little bit. Like the, Adam LZ vlogs being cringe and looking at your shit back in the day and be like, Adam's fucking vlogging again. And just like the resistance to vlogging was just like palpable. Everybody was like, nah, fuck that. That's whack. But now it's like, Hey, you should have done it consistently and you'd be making good money right now, but it's not too but, late to start. I, don't I know. understand those people because they, they were right. Like if Dakota had been disgusted by the idea of like vlogs taking over BMX, he was right because he pretty much saw the writing on the wall of like, Oh, that thing that you thought that you were working on becoming your whole life. That thing is now fundamentally changed. And yeah. it's not just about like going to a contest and getting a couple of clips and props. It's like, no, you're basically creating a fucking document of your life every day. And if you're not going to do it on, uh, on YouTube making vlogs, well, at the very least you're going to be doing it on Instagram and you're going to be, you know, getting clips, like even just the Instagram clip thing was super controversial back in the day. I Nobody remember. Yeah. And uh, now when you look at it, it's like, even when I go on trips with the on some shit on the, on some shit team, like the last one I went to was in Brooklyn, like over a year ago, it's just default that like a lot of tricks are considered Instagram worthy. Even if you got a guy with a $5,000 camera sitting right there to film you, you know? Yeah. Big time. It's almost better. Like I'm still filming with the VX for the, the mediocre best video. And, I tell the dudes, I'm like, no, that you need to put that on Instagram. You know, I'll film it with my phone. Like, it's better. You know, it's it's wild. <clears throat> but I remember the resistance they, to it. They want to like, put, the, put that on Instagram. Yeah, well, the, the dudes want to take like the Jibby clips, like the little micro pole jam clip, and put it on Instagram. And to me, it's like, no, that's that's the dope shit. Like the the kinked rail clip is cool too, but like the weird pole jam to like land in some little bank or whatever, like that doesn't. That doesn't really like make sense automatically in my mind because to me 
I mean, and and that's something kind of under discussed is that like can I eat era wasn't like spot era. Like nobody was tripping out about the spots. When you go back and watch Can I Eat, they're all riding like basic ass spots in like downtown Manhattan. And then you you fast forward to like New York City videos ten years later with all the AMPM shit. Now they're like really exploring Queens and Brooklyn and Staten Island and going crazy just finding spots and like that kind of became the signifier of who's a dub rider in New York City in that scene at the time. It was like it wasn't necessarily as much about the tricks. It was about the spots. But then also, like, I feel like that's part of why New York and, like, street riding in general kind of, like, fell by the wayside in, in in comparison to, like, plaza riding and all this, you know, kind of new shit that's taken over because so many of the young kids, especially, like, in, you know, 2013, 14, 15 on YouTube, they wanted to see people riding plazas and doing, like, you know, nose bar on a flat ledge. They didn't want to see the hunt for the perfect weird pole jam set up in the, in the hood or whatever. Whereas like, you know, I really came to accept that that was the the cool part of riding. And obviously like the cool kids in BMX still get that, but it's like a dissonance between like the consumers and the, the actual riders. Yeah. There's such a, such a huge breakdown of that. Cause like it takes, it's almost like an acquired taste of like, you start watching BMX videos as like a new BMX person. And you're like, Oh wow, tricks. And so you don't give a shit about spots. You don't even know yet. And then like your taste accumulates over time. Like when you're bombarded by video parts all the time, you start to appreciate all the other shit, you know? Like you can be the same mediocre writer, but go to the cool spots and then it's fucking it's a whole different ball game of like beauty. AMPM is fucking up there, you know? Like Joey is uh like and that's the true shit too. He's just like a teacher, I think, if he still is. I don't know if you talk to him at all, but just that's pure, you know, it's that's that's I, I love and I'm out here we're, I'm filming with Clay Johnson and Robbie Digital and watching them just like enjoy the hunt every single time that we're out is like these guys are pure you know street dogs I love it yeah and I, I mean I just watched that uh, in, uh act like you know video that came out like a week or two ago and yeah there was like many moments where I was rewinding it to just look at the spot because it's just like a really weird fucking cellar door spot and I have nobody to talk to about that. Like, just, like, <laughs> I'm like gonna take a picture of the spot and send it to just like nobody left in my life where I'm like having like spot conversations on that level. Yeah. Hey, babe, and, come I, here. Yeah. <laughs> babe, come look that, at this cellar door. For me to accept at a certain point, like even 2011, 2012, like, oh, the kind of riding that I really like and that I really care about is not the thing necessarily. And the combination of, going out riding and personality is going to be the thing that's actually going to move on the internet. And then you're forced to sort of make this decision between the stuff that your like inner self feels is cool versus what you know is going to get a reaction online. And, you know, you're always kind of battling that in this day and age because the coolest shit is not necessarily going to be the stuff that's going to perform the best, you know? Yeah. It's so interesting just thinking about you paying attention to that and being like, aware of it in the moment is very interesting to me like because i know like you rode for many many years before it became like a business for you but then like i think probably having the perspective of like okay i'm monetizing the comic i gotta pay attention to everything and then that dichotomy of like here's what i love but here's what needs to happen in order for business to succeed it's like navigating that is fucking interesting because a lot of people would be like fuck money i don't care about money i could be i just i just do what i do and i love it versus like riding the line of like you can still love it and do the shit that you like but bend over a little bit 
pause for the fucking future of whatever's coming. How is it a was that a conscious thing? Do you think? Like, did you have those internal thoughts? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I was thinking about it, and I found it depressing. So just sort of realized that like the values riding wise that I kind of grown up with, which were always in a state of flux because the shit that I was into when I was 14 was like different than the shit I was into when I was 24. But you know, that's just like, that's like how it is. Like the social media shapes everything about our culture now. Whereas like back in the day, no, like back in the day in high school or like, you know, after high school in college, whatever, I didn't know a single girl who was posting scantily clad photos of themselves on the internet. And now because of the incentives that the internet provides you with, almost every girl I know is posting, you know, photos that previously would have basically put you in the porn star category, but they're just doing it because it's rewarded on Instagram. So it's like social media just completely shapes everything. And um, that is kind of sad, but like, I mean, BMX in its previous state was shaped by the, the VHS era and the, the magazine era. And like, you know, that, that was a hard thing for a lot of people to realize when they realized that like, Oh, riding bikes, and carrying eight flashes on your back and like a bunch of camera equipment just so that when we get to the perfect 10 stair rail, you could spend a half hour setting up flashes so that you can do a tooth hanger on the rail and get the photo. I mean, that made sense in the magazine era and then completely ceased to make sense in the web video era because, you know, even Jeff Z now is like out here filming vlog. Well, I don't know. Jeff Z filming vlogs. I think Fudge is filming vlogs. A lot of guys who probably never thought that they would film a vlog ended up filming vlogs because like that, that thing that you spent a decade learning to do with the photo shit just doesn't really translate to the Instagram era. So everybody's been forced to basically like kind of adapt or die. Yeah. yeah you you got to adapt. Even if it means that, you know, the the thing that you were passionate about kind of goes by the wayside right yeah so like fudger too it's kind of hilarious to think about putting them in a time machine and being like look this is what you're going to be doing you know like i love it it's hilarious because i even i don't even i don't even know if i can relate to that i think i'd be stoked if i saw just doing doing podcasts and shit but yeah like oh no i'm vlogging but it is what it is and i think the cringe factor is gone at this point it's more accepted and it's almost like that you know, we went from the magazine era to the web video era, which the come up was a huge part of. I remember I remember how big of an impact just switching you switching from anonymous comments to Facebook comments had on me, by the way. So we go from era to era to era. And currently we're in this like social media, super saturated vlog, YouTube money. If if you can get it, like shout out to Panza and uh, whoever else on YouTube is making money. But um, oh, Billy, Billy and Panza are like a good model for this current right. era, but like what's coming, you know, what's that next? anonymous comment era really stuck with a lot of people. Cause I'm pretty sure I remember like when that Magoo episode I was watching, he like, when he was describing the come up, he's talking about the anonymous comment era, which was kind of funny to me because that was a relatively short period of time. That was almost probably almost like this, the first year or two of the come up existing. And then we switched over to the Facebook comments, like relatively quickly. But during that time period was when it, the come up really stood out to people because you could just go on there every day and see people getting ripped to shreds <laughs> in the yeah. comments. And like there was so little oversight that, you know, literally anyone could say anything. And even that, that doesn't exist right now so much. Like you can make an anonymous Twitter. Yeah. But, you know, this is like the biggest BMX w- website at that point, And anybody could say anything. And I remember, remember the Ross Cats? No. What's the Ross Cats? 
a little bit before your time, like Russ Barone and uh, Sean Garrett. Were oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ross, yeah. I, why did I think Ross isn't like Ross from Friends? Yeah, I remember the Ross cast. Yeah. But they have like all like uh, Jamaican or Rasta flag like uh, parts yeah. shit at the time. And I remember I was supposed to do like an interview with them. And that was when it was still like a written interview thing. And I remember Sean Garrett not wanting to do it because his problem with the come up was entirely the anonymous comments. And I remember like trying to explain to Keith Romanowski, who was like the connect on that, like, bro, that's like, I'm not writing that shit. And like, but that was like early era of me realizing like, Oh, the meta conversation that takes place alongside your, your content is going to reflect on you no matter what. Yeah. I heard too. It's like, it had like an emotional impact, the anonymous like veil that people could hide behind and just shit on you. Or like it, that meant that means it or it made it mean a lot more when an, all of anonymous approved and was like i fuck with this and it's sick like if you got good comments on the come up it at during that era it was a it was a big deal it was very rare and uh yeah it had an emotional i still remember like being posted on the come up and refreshing like what are the anonymous comments saying about me now like i don't remember what it was but that that type of vibe it was a brutal era and i but i feel like that energy kind of like dissipated from the come up and it sort of went to being more like a regular blog. Like there was a lot of like, I, I wrote a lot of spicy articles at that time and everything, but I felt like that energy reappeared in the rodeo peanut era. Yeah. Yeah. For real. And then that was a good era. I, I enjoyed it. That energy from rodeo peanut all anyone talked about for a while. And I actually, I, I kind of started that too, because I remember I had LOL BMX, as like the the first rodeo peanut and then it turned into rodeo peanut at a certain point but just like the fact that anybody cared about bike riding enough to like be making fun of everybody for the tricks that they were doing or the way that they were doing them or whatever was just like so unbelievably funny and i feel like that's what we're still missing to this day is that like out of all the bmx websites and all the people making bmx related content there's nobody that like stands out to you as like oh this person loves this shit cares about this shit but is willing to make fun of this shit you know there's a bunch of people doing like good content like fudger and shit i watched some of his interviews i watched some of your interviews but like i don't know there's something about teasing that like shows your level of passion yeah. uh or that shit that is like appetizing to people on a different level i guess team weed had that spot for a while too gotta shout out them yep and then Tim Wed 42 dude i got put in that group chat with whatever charlie has going on and it's it was a fucking waking nightmare i was like what the fuck is happening to my phone just non-stop all kinds of weird crazy like what's that what's the term for those memes that are just like overcooked or fried or whatever the fuck deep fried memes yeah, yeah deep fried memes going on and shit talk it's a it's a different world that we're in i don't know like i don't know who would take that spot right now i even just got memed by something on seinfeld bmx like i posted my new haircut yesterday and then it it, saw it became a meme with like three likes on instagram and i was like cool you know what the fuck seinfeld <laughs> bmx is a great app i gotta check that out but yeah. uh, no it was i remember back then it was so fucking funny that like I, there was a jam that we did uh in 2014 or so like a monster energy jam and there was like a up rail with with grass after it and like you know it's in it was somewhere in Europe. It might have been Germany or some shit. And everybody's just doing tricks on it. And then like <laughs> they just post on Rodeo Peanut, like, nice street jam. Nothing counted. <laughs> <laughs> and I was pretty stoked on that. But they they kind of nailed it because they were so relentlessly negative about everything that it wasn't like they were like kind of nice to some shit. 
No, it was like, we're going to make fun of everything. And then it's kind of hard to get mad about it. Which I yeah. Think was- and nobody would take it personal. I mean, I'm sure there's people that took it personal, but I think it was almost like an honor if you got shit on by Rodeo Peanut or like when they zoom in on like a double dribble on a tail whip is hilarious to me. Yeah. But there is, there was a lot of shit that needed to be called out. Like, oh my God, I remember getting so much shit for writing articles back then about different things in BMX that I thought needed to stop. And examples were Indian givers, which I made fun of in a blog post. And I swear to God, they disappeared from BMX pretty much soon after that. Like I got a lot of shit for hating on the Indian giver, but then it was clearly massively influential because you never fucking saw it after that. And it's not like I was the only person making fun of it, but I definitely think I helped push that through. I've just like encouraging people to take some pride in their rollouts. And I mean, I'm a guy who objectively has pretty ugly rollouts. At least the switch ones were fucking gross as fuck. With <laughs> But like, you know, it's like, you just, you got to take some pride and you got to be willing to have opinions like that. I remember I did a, a whole blog post about uh song jacking. And I just remember like empire going in on me. And it's like, they, they, the whole perspective was like, this is BMX. It's supposed to be fun. Like, why are you bringing negativity into BMX? And my perspective was like, I'm not bringing negativity into BMX. I just have an opinion. And yeah. I feel like it's a fair opinion. And I think song jacking, if anything, like, using a song that somebody else used in their video part if it's like a very well-known song i mean it's just like objectively easy to see why that's a bad idea and like all i did was kind of list out the reasons why you shouldn't do it and i just got like so much hate for it and now i look at like gifted hater whose youtube channel i absolutely fucking adore you watch that shit Uh uh-uh gifted hater bro he's like the greatest action sports commentator he's like a skateboard uh uh commentary channel and he does that, but he does it so much more mercilessly than I used to. And he's like so celebrated for it because there's a lot of like toxic positivity in action sports, you know, yeah. Where like everybody just wants shit to be all positive. And so therefore there's like almost nobody who's willing to bite off having a controversial opinion about anything. But I feel like that, like in skateboarding with gifted hater, they fucking celebrate it in 2008 in BMX when I was writing these blog posts, very much not appreciated. Have you always been this way? Have just an opinion and then say, fuck you? Like, and not fuck you, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you've, you're opinionated and like you believe what you're saying. Like, I, I don't think I've ever been that strongly opinionated. Like, it, when, how does one become like that? You know well, what I mean? I mean, I feel like when you look at the West Coast versus the East Coast, on the East Coast, it's like that everyone I grew up around in terms of BMX riders, punk kids, hardcore kids, whatever, like everybody was kind of like that. Like everybody had strong opinions and were like kind of just like putting them out there. Like all the BMX dudes I started riding with were some of the most relentlessly negative people I've ever met in my entire fucking life. (laughs) And you move to the West coast and everybody's just like, chill, bro. Let's smoke another blunt. Let's like shred. Let's just have a good time. And it's like, to me, there's and and I deal that I deal with this even with my girl to this day is that like I have to kind of moderate my tone sometimes because she's from the West Coast she doesn't get how I communicate uh, so I have to like moderate that but like yeah for me growing up that was always what it was was like you know the person who would like get the laugh at the skate park was the person who was like the most negative or the most critical or the most willing to have like an outsider opinion about something which. To me now, I see the value in that so much because in terms of hip hop, the people who make the news and go viral and do well in terms of this content are people like academics, Joe Budden, me to whatever extent, people who can listen to the new Drake album 
and then have an opinion on it and be able to create 20 or 30 minutes of conversation out of it. And your opinion goes somewhere beyond. Yeah. I thought it was cool. It was a cool album like that. that I'm going to listen to that album when I'm driving around. It's just like, okay, nobody, nobody's clicking to hear you say that. That's yeah. boring. You yeah. know? And same thing with like, you know, if I watch a BMX video right now and you tasked me with writing 500 words about it, I'm going to be looking for the things that I don't love about it because anybody can say, oh, this video was full of progressive rail tricks. Okay. <laughs> he did a great boring. job. The filming Nobody's was fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's boring as fuck. But like, we live in the take era now in hip hop, at least like the people who have exciting, interesting commentary. And, and to the point where like, you know, Joe Budden will talk shit about somebody and, and immediately have that rapper responding. And that makes his podcast so much bigger when you have somebody who's got 10 million followers reacting to what you said about it. So I, I very much see the value in being able to have a, a provocative take now but man, BMX really tried to convince me to stop doing that because it, it, both in terms of like having friends and getting advertisers, uh, that shit wasn't doing me any favors back then. Yeah, we'll give you 500 bucks a month, but you got to stop being mean about our shit. You know? Bingo, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. And it, yeah, I think you're right. It is valuable. It makes me think about myself. I'm like, I don't really have that strong of an opinion on shit. Like maybe, maybe podcasting isn't the move. I don't think nobody's clicking on my shit to hear my controversial take on the latest BMX video. Part of me, yeah. I wish I had nothing going on so I could just have a BMX blog again and just like watch video parts every day and then like write funny, critical stuff about it. Cause that was what my entire life was back then. And it sounds pretty fun. I just kind of have like too many opportunities outside of that, you know? Yeah. I mean, you're at a different level now. Um, I mean, speaking of being at a different level, do you, first of all, I was going to, the question that I blanked on earlier was, do you miss it? The era of like, BMX is your entire life and you just answered it like yes of course but I feel like life changes and now you have new challenges in front of you and yeah but like that era when I look back on it now it's such a weird feeling for me of like oh I was in my early 20s mid 20s in New York City getting to go out riding bikes every single day with all these cool personalities hilarious personalities a lot of people who ended up being like very well known in the scene and whatnot. And granted it was kind of like after the, the peak of the scavenger slash animal slash Edwin, Vinny and Vic era. Like by the time I moved to New York, Vic Ayala had just quit riding and like Vinny wasn't really riding like that anymore. You didn't really see him around that much. Edwin was kind of slowing down around like 2005 or whatever, when I moved there. And I just look back at that and I'm like, bro, those were the greatest times of your life where you had very few responsibilities. Somehow you had sort of stumbled into having an income stream, but you were able to just go out and have fun on your bike in New York city for all these years in a row. But I didn't fully enjoy it the way that I should have, because I was constantly haunted by the idea that I needed to do something bigger with my life and that I needed to make more money or I needed to be able to like that, that there was just something bigger that I needed to do with myself, you know? Yeah. And like looking back on that now, I wish I had been a little bit more, uh content and like willing to just chill and just like enjoy those years because now i have so many responsibilities on my plate that the idea of like waking up and just picking a, a random part of queens to go ride bikes in and look for spots sounds so fucking sick where <laughs> yeah. like, now i wake up every day and it's like oh i have 
three interviews in a row and a bunch of phone calls with different people scheduled in between. And some guy's going to stop by and show me his weed. And I have to like make five minutes out of my schedule to go talk to this guy about his weed so that he'll hopefully advertise with us or whatever the fuck it is. You know, it's like my schedule's so stacked now and I feel like I can't chill because I don't know how long this opportunity is going to last and I don't want to take it for granted. But like when I fantasize about what I'm going to be doing when I'm 50 or 60, I imagine myself living a little bit more slow paced lifestyle, you know? Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Like most successful people have that same bug that you're talking about of just like, I need to, there's, you can't really enjoy the moment because you're thinking about the fucking future. And like, that's dramatic to say, obviously you're enjoying the moment, but you're not fully present. You're not like feeling the contentness and it's that Ed that's, it's almost anxiety that like, I've, I've felt it in like waves of like, fuck, let's go, let's go, let's go. But most of the time pretty like, okay, whatever's coming will come. I, and I see that in successful people of like, they all have that. I've gotten close with a couple of, you know, millionaires and it's like that drive. It's never, let's just chill and enjoy the day. It's like, I'm doing right. this, I'm doing this. Gotta go, gotta go. Ambition is a sickness at a certain point, you know? And like, yeah. when I, I listened to this crazy New York times panel that Elon Musk did a couple of weeks ago, and it was just like, you know, this is a guy who, as much as I think he's kind of a douchebag at times for some of his weirder decisions, it's like he has that ambition to the point of like true insanity. This is a guy who's, he, he created the fucking electric car company. He created an outer space company. And now his new thing is that he's trying to put a fucking wire going into your brain so you can use <laughs> yeah. without having to look at it type shit, you know? And it's like, I mean, I look at myself and I'm like, oh, I just started a YouTube channel. I just talked to a bunch of people on camera. I just have like a social a bunch of social media accounts. It's like, and 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 doing all that has made me feel like a certain degree of contentment where I don't really know. There's not like another level to this in my mind of like, oh, I started a business that can make millions of dollars a year. So now I need to start a business that can make a hundred million dollars a year. No, I don't really have that. Like that's my 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 ambition had like a a ceiling because I think that like my perspective and my personality was like the main thing that I have. I'm not like a, a tech genius or like a guy who has like brilliant software ideas or anything like that. You know, like there is part of me that when I look at my friends who have like dope brands that make products like that, I'm kind of like envious, like, you know, Zach from FTP just like literally wakes up every day and like works on making cool shit that has FTP logos on it, you know? And like that in a way, my, maybe if I were to look at the business, maybe I would still rather be running no jumper, but like the simplicity of that is very attractive to me. Uh, and so sometimes I think about that of like, Oh fuck, maybe I should like just end up being like a guy running a weed brand and just wake up every day and try to make that brand as cool as possible. As opposed to what I do now, where it's like, I'm just trying to have as many conversations as possible and engage as many interesting people as possible, you know? Yeah. That makes me wonder, like, what is your current mindset like as far as content creation? And like, you, I know pretty uh, surface level, like how No Jumper evolved from into becoming like multiple shows, and then it's kind of like devolved. I think of, of this last year of just like let's condense everything, people leave, blah blah blah, whatever the fuck happened. And so, like, where's it at now? And what are you what are you thinking about for twenty twenty four for everything that you're working on? Yeah, like, I mean, it's weird when you when you start a business and then or like you know with no jumper it's like at a certain point i thought i wanted it to be this big media company where we we're going to have all these different personalities on the channel and i and i still have that to whatever extent but like 
the idea that I was going to be able to just like stick a bunch of dudes on camera and have them create a popular podcast. And that that was going to be the future of the brand. I mean, there's just, you get reality checks along the way with that shit where it's like, you, you know, you can get everything that you ever wanted in terms of building up like a media company and then kind of realize like, Oh, I'm losing money on this. Like I need to try to like fix this or I need to like change this up. So I had a little bit of that this year, but you know, yeah, we still like, have multiple different things we do the news every day i was just on the news uh this morning i have a show with whack 100 that's been doing super good like better than any of the content that we had going on before and i don't know i mean that that is kind of like a weird thing now is that i have so many ideas in the short term and if if i go and watch videos on youtube for an hour i guarantee i'm gonna think of a bunch of different people that i want to interview and different people that i want to do content with vlogs i want to go shoot with different people doing different things but do I have any ideas that are kind of like bigger than that in terms of like, oh, this is my grand vision for No Jumper? I mean, not not in the same way, but sometimes like I'll go on vacation for a week and my mind has a lot more room to wander and I find myself really thinking like, oh, I, I have this opportunity and maybe it's making me zero dollars or it's costing me a bunch of money right now. But, you know, this opportunity could potentially be the big thing because like if I had told you when the come up was at its uh, pinnacle. If I had said like, no, I'm going to start another channel. And I'm going to interview all these underground rappers and it's <laughs> yeah. hundred times bigger than the come up. I mean, nobody would have believed me somehow right. that worked. It's like, I have sort of like a fear of not taking enough shots at a certain point because you never know which of these shots is going to kind of pan out into something bigger, you know? Yeah. No, that's super interesting. Cause like, uh, I've seen it in real life, just at a smaller scale, like with businesses and like, somebody who's super willing to take those little risks and like put money into something, not knowing if it'll succeed. And then the polar opposite of that, where it's like, Nope, this is working. We're just going to stick with this, push this button and keep getting the money until it stops. You know? And it's just like, you got to take some risk for no jumper to even happen. You know, like it's a interesting thought. I, I try and put myself in your shoes of like, all right, what are we doing now? And it's a, <laughs> I, I don't envy the position you're in. I, I do envy the success. That's nice, but I, it's a lot. Lot to handle. Keep in mind that like all of my biggest interviews, like I've done interviews where I sat down with someone and thought it was a regular ass interview and then it ended up being the biggest interview of my entire life. In the case of that X interview, it's like literally the biggest hip hop interview of all time based on YouTube views. And I had no idea. I thought it was just a regular interview. And, yeah. and, and that kind of has like forced me into this position where I constantly want to take shots on people that are not necessarily like proven. Like the biggest interview I've done in the last couple of years was uh 1090 Jake. Who's just like a, a YouTuber who talks about gang shit, crime shit. He has a crazy ass story. I interviewed him. It has 6 million views. And then like many, many more millions of views from the clips. And I mean that I, I, I kind of had a sense with that. Like I could have told you that it would probably do like a million views, but I definitely didn't know it was going to do 6 million views. Plus, you know, maybe 15 million views if you count up all the clips and shit and like i don't know like that that kind of a lot of times i look at my day and i'll be stressing myself the fuck out doing four interviews and then before the day starts i'll look at the interviews and be like i have no idea if any of these are going to move the needle at all but well, you gotta do them i gotta do it because <laughs> i just feel like there's a significant even if it's a one percent chance for each of them it's like you know that that's just like, like i interviewed jack harlow before he fucking blew up yeah. i interviewed 
the kid Leroy in his neighborhood before he blew up. Like even these are all kind of in the last couple of years. And it just like stands out to me like, Oh, you, you have to keep taking chances on young artists or new artists or whatever, because you just never know where their career is going to go from there. And there's so much upside in connecting with these people early. What's the last one that you did where you were like, I'm not sure about this one. Oh, you're, you're talking about every single one is how you feel about it, but not every single one, but yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, the ones the ones I could name would like not even they they wouldn't even be people you've heard of just like underground rappers that like realistically could explode but probably like a ninety eight percent chance that they won't but right. they do, we got a winner. I'm just I'm curious about like because I I watched a YouTube video about you and they were talking about you pivoted away from doing underground hip hop to like more YouTube people. I mean, I if like, you look at who we've interviewed in the last six months, it would be almost impossible to like actually craft that narrative. Cause I, I interview YouTube people here and there. I interview porn stars here and there, but it's always been like 85% plus underground rappers or street rappers or whatever. Like, I mean, a lot of people, they prefer one or the other. They, they like the underground dudes who talk about Xanax and use auto tune. And then they hate the street rappers who talk about having ops and popping glocks at the ops and whatnot. But <laughs> To me, it's like all these are, they're all kind of in the same category of like younger rappers who are trying to make something out of themselves. I don't know. What kind of rap are you into right now? Obviously you like it all and you always have, but what's, what are you playing? The music I actually listen to my car that actually gets me excited and motivated to go do something with myself pretty much throughout most of my life has always been street rap. I'll, I'll call it street rap instead of like gangster rap or drill. But like, you know, I don't know. There's something about aggressive rap music fast-paced like intense i don't know like uh, it's just usually i'm drawn towards stuff that is let's say anti-social <laughs> nice give me like, give me a couple names uh i'm a big 22g's fan uh i'm a big poo shiesty fan free uh, poo shiesty um i wish i had my phone on me right now so i could list off everybody else that i've been listening to lately but like i don't know i love king vaughn i love little dirk i love pgf nook i love uh there's a dude named fonzo 6700 that i've been listening to a bunch lately there's a dude named maft ski from chicago i've been listening to almost everybody that i just named is from chicago um there's a dude there's there's the, a group called the sweepers out of uh, the bronx that i'm real into there's oh i love four one which is like kyle rich tata and and jen carter from the or from brooklyn actually and uh yeah i don't know it's just like a lot of like underground rap that's like really so usually more on the drill side of things but i don't know there's still a shitload of rap that i'm like really genuinely excited about although it is hard for me to find time to listen to it between preparing for interviews listening to podcasts that have nothing to do with rap and then also like wanting to stay relatively familiar with mainstream rap. Like I have it in my head that I need to listen to the Nicki Minaj album at some point, even though I'm never going to interview Nicki Minaj, but I feel like I should have at least some basic opinion of her album just because she's such a big deal, you know? Yep. <clears throat> that kind of leads me into, thank you. I'm going to look these, these, uh, these drill guys up, you know, it sounds pretty neat. I love hardcore rap. <laughs> now they want they want to guilt trip me for that now because it's like oh you're an old white man and you only like music oh yeah black men killing each other and it's like well bro i've been listening to the same fucking style of music my whole life so if you want to try to demonize me for it now i mean okay i guess you're such a racist dude it's unbelievable i can't always, can't, always with this yeah. can't stand you um 
that makes me wonder about like guests. You mentioned Nicki Minaj. Like, if you could wave a magic wand, who's your who's your dream guest for No Jumper? I mean, if I had like a magic wand, I'm probably gonna go with people who are so gigantic that the podcast would just reach a different level of popularity as a result. Like, if I had Drake or Taylor Swift or I don't know Adele, who's yeah. the biggest rappers? I got like Lil Durk or Young Boy. That would be a big deal. But I don't know. It's just like, you know, anybody would really move the needle because in terms of like the smaller, cooler people, it's like that's a lot more realistic. Like I would love to have a sit down conversation with Lil B and that would be a huge interview. But it also, you know, if I had to choose between Lil B and Drake, I yeah. probably should just do the Drake one. Right. I'm sure Lil B would understand. Yeah. Big time. There's like a it's an interesting thing too of just like doing this because i know it's good for the podcast but here's who i really want to interview and fortunately you don't have to be in that like either or you can do both that's dope i would imagine like all these people that you named they know they know about no jumper you know you fucking in the zeitgeist it's a interesting yeah. thing to think about it's just like you know people now have so many choices when it comes to where they want to go do an interview so like Nicki minaj puts out this album and she did the joe budden podcast which isn't out yet and she did Kai Sinat's stream. I believe those are the two things that she chose. And so she pretty much went on like the biggest hip hop plat, uh, podcast that realistically, like she's known Joe Budden for all these years. They have a relationship. They have a mutual respect. It totally makes sense to me why she would go on that podcast instead of No Jumper, because realistically, she don't know me from a can of paint. I've probably made fun of her a bunch of times over the years that I can't even remember. Um that she might remember. And, you know, she knows that if she comes and does an interview with me, I'm liable to ask a bunch of sus questions and sketchy shit that she probably doesn't want mentioned. And, you know, she goes on Kai Sinat. Like, they, they have these opportunities now to go do content with, like, Twitch streamers who are just not going to drag you into a conversation that you don't want to have, you know? So I totally understand why. But that that kind of, like, forces me into, like, if I'm going to define myself, I want to be the guy who has conversations with like people early on or is able to put together weird combinations of people to have conversations that maybe were unexpected, you know? So a lot of my effort goes into that because I mean, I can get millions and millions of views from interviewing people that realistically are not famous as rappers, but have like insane stories to tell, you know? Yeah. Big time. Makes me think of just, I remember, well, when I DM'd you asking to do this, you said, yeah, as long as I can tell you how to do a podcast. And I, I, I've been thinking about that ever since. I'm like, what the fuck is, what advice is Adam going to give me, dude? The, the thing that it, that comes to mind first is like, I remember watching the Rat Boy interview and just kind of feeling like, you know, you needed to study a little harder for this one because you you were like asking him what shine was. And I'm like, I feel like you could have spent an hour on Google slash YouTube and kind of like figured that out. Like, I, I just feel like I do so much research in the lead up to interviews, just like scraping YouTube and Google, trying to find anything possible to ask people about. And you're like watching some of Rap Boy's video parts for the first time during that thing, which me as like a diehard Rap Boy fan, okay, but like you're from a different generation. But my thing when I sit down to do an interview is I'm really trying to act like I 100% know all this shit even though a lot of times i have the shit written down in front of me or i'm like i'm just temporarily familiar with the shit like i i know who you are and i know who you're beefing with and i know who you wrote songs about and i know who your girlfriend is and a lot of times that shit disappears from my fucking brain like a day or two after i do the interview yeah. because it's not useful to me after the interview but that that is the one thing 
that from watching your shit that I was kind of like, you know, I feel like you sort of owe it to some of these guys to maybe, especially when you think with like Rat Boy, you could watch every video part that he's ever put out in like 15 minutes because <laughs> yeah. it's like four or five realistically like important video parts, maybe more if you really want to dig in there. But that that was the sole thing that I kind of remembered that I wanted to say. I'm curious about general podcast advice, not even just for me, but for, I mean, that's a good, good note fucking do your research. And I have for a couple guests at some point, it just gets into a, I'm like, okay, let's go, you know? And it's a, it's a laziness thing. I'm, I, I, they all do res deserve their at least respect. And I'd say if I know, if I knew you or if I know you, then I'm not going to do as much research, but, uh, yeah, but general podcast advice, like, is it a conscious decision from you to just ask like what's the word provocative questions like do you go into a podcast like uh here's here's the real kicker that we'll get to you know after we talk for 45 minutes and then things are cool and then oh what about this you know you bring that shit up on purpose yeah i definitely like my style of podcasting if i'm going to interview somebody for an hour or two hours whatever is i want to like tell your story from the beginning really like you know ask questions along the way you mentioned some little detail about what your life was like when you were 16 or 18 or 21 and i keep kind of like digging into that cause creating as many little threads of conversation based on like the narrative of your life and then i also have all these other questions pretty much that'll be based around like you know different people that the person worked with collaborated with had friction with etc so it's like I'm trying to like kind of go through the whole life and just like highlight all the different things that I know of that are important or interesting. And then realistically towards the end of that is when I'm going to try to hit them with a hardball question. Like, you know, something that, you know, cause, cause if you start an interview with a rapper and you just ask right away, like, so I know you beefed with this guy. Yeah. Tell me about like that a lot of times is just, they're going to be like, what the fuck? You haven't earned that question out of me. So I try to like really get them softened up and then hit them with it towards the end. And, you know, my attitude on that stuff, because I was just talking about this, because Andrew Schultz uh, basically, like, kind of called me out and said that I was the type of interviewer who, if I asked him something he didn't want to discuss, would just include it in the podcast anyway, which is not true for the record. I delete shit all the time for uh, rappers, either because of legal shit or just messiness or whatever. But, uh, you know, I, I, I like to get to the tough questions by the end just because I feel like if you build up enough respect for your guests as time goes by, then they won't necessarily mind when you get to the stuff that, uh, that is a little bit more hard hitting, but also like, you know, BMX, I, I remember realizing at one point was way different. Cause like there was one year where I think like five or six BMX riders got divorced and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like super paying attention to hip hop too, where like, you know, young Jeezy's getting a divorce offsets getting a divorce this is relentlessly documented in the media yeah nobody ever mentioned these five or six dudes getting divorces which is probably a good thing because you know if they don't want their fucking life put out there for display to the world then by all means but i think that's the difference between a huge community like hip-hop and a small community like bmx the smaller the community gets the less of an appetite there is to hear about the nitty gritty personal details of people's lives, you know? And, and yeah. that's kind of like a weird transition between BMX and, and uh, I mean, there's a lot of drama in BMX that I had different shit with different dudes over girls, whatever, never made it to the public eye. Hit me with one. 
No. Please share. I don't want anybody to talk about it. <laughs> but like you, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about, different stuff. And sometimes I wonder like, Jesus, is that ever going to get brought up? But I think that is a good thing in BMX for the most part. They're like, it's a community. It's a real community. You, you're going to see everybody in BMX if you go to any decent number of events over the years, you know? Yeah. It's funny that you say, you know, because my brain is shit. So I'm thinking back. I'm like, I, can't, I have a vague sense, but I can't remember the other party. Oh, well. BMX dudes beefing over bitches, you know. That's, yeah, small world stuff. Mm. Um, all right, cool. That's good podcast advice. What about, like, the marketing of it? Like, I, I think on my Canode knows, I don't, I don't do much aside from get the clips going. And I had a, a small budget from Dig, which was fantastic and allowed me to pay editors to make clips. But because I did it a couple Sundays where it's like, all right, I'm editing the actual podcast. I'm watching it. I'm picking the clips. I'm going through. I'm editing each clip, which takes hours for each of those. And it's like 7 p.m. on a Sunday. I'm like, I got two clips done and the podcast done. And I'm like, fuck, there's, this is not... I can't fucking do this. I have other shit going on myself. So it's like... That should have burned you out. like So I, fast. I, I kind of respect that because i think that there's something really good that happens when you do a podcast and then you watch the podcast so that you can kind of like criticize yourself and like hopefully learn anymore. something but it's brutal because it makes you it, it's like exhausting the amount of stamina that you have to do more podcasts you know so for for me like yeah i don't do any of the editing or anything like that but i did for years and years and years and uh but yeah i mean that is the crazy part marketing wise now is that i used to do interviews and the title would be the bobby canode interview Right now it's Bobby Canode on his drug abuse, his scandals with his ex, you know, all like yeah. you fill the title with as much shit as possible to get people to click it. And then you got to make clips and then you got to make YouTube shorts slash TikTok slash reels. And it's just kind of brutal because like they all have different, you know, there's, there's just different levels of work that goes into all of it. And it's all just trying to get people to watch content that you don't earn that much money from. You know, it's like you have to get a lot of fucking views to even be able to pay for an editor to make the shit for you, you know? And that's just kind of bizarre that we live in a world where the 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 amount of information available to everybody is so ridiculously dense that you just, you know, it's like you just got to go hard to get people to even have a chance of clicking on your shit. And even then, like, I, I did an interview the other day with a dude who there was this whole scandal with this guy who... He spent $60,000 on Ruby Rose's OnlyFans and it went super viral because holy shit, look at this simp who spent this much money on OnlyFans. And I did an interview with him where he admitted that it was all fake and that this was all like OnlyFans promotion designed by her team. And then I had like, there's another YouTuber named Moist Critical that is gigantic. Yeah. He made a video about my video, about my interview with him and his video got like 2 million views and my interview with the guy got like 150K. So, I mean... On one hand, it's fucking awesome that 2 million people watched large chunks of my interview. And if they see me walking down the street, they're going to say, oh, you're that fucking guy from that, whatever. But at the same time, nowadays in the reaction world, in the commentary world on YouTube, a lot of times your best stuff just ends up being like raw source materials for other creators to create content out of, which is kind of bizarre and sometimes makes me feel if this is even a like it makes me wonder if this is even an intelligent business to be in where there's so many people just kind of making money off of my content, you know? Yeah. It's so saturated and it's so bastardized or cannibalized. Like one, my original video doesn't get shit, but then Moist does a video on it, but. Right. Like and the said, reason why right. that X interview that has 23 million views, like, I don't think there'll ever be another hip hop interview that does more views than that because 
in this day and age, the best moments are going to be put on Twitter and TikTok and Instagram, and everybody's going to see those moments. And there's just like way less of a reason for people to dig into the original videos. So, that was almost pre-clips era, like the XXX oh, shit. You totally, yeah. No I podcast clips, clips scrolling through Instagram. I didn't cut clips. And this was way before it was normal to be scrolling through Twitter or Instagram and just see a clip from a podcast, which if you had thought of that early on, you would have been a fucking genius. But, you know, Schultz. you just got to kind of like you, you have to just like accept the good with the bad when it comes to people sort of jacking your shit like that. Because, I mean, a lot of people blow up. Andrew Tate blew up because he was paying people to make TikToks of his content and spread his shit to a bigger and bigger audience. No shit. I didn't know that. And that's, that's why smart. that's why you always if you're making content, you have to have like big picture monetization shit, because if you're Andrew Tate, it makes sense for you to do that because he's not trying to make money off of YouTube views. He's trying to make money off selling you a fucking course that costs hundreds of dollars, you know? Yeah. So that's one thing that kind of I've been thinking about is like, you know, if I was like, it makes more sense for me to go do a podcast if I have like something that I'm selling that is like very profitable, like even a course that costs a 100 bucks. If you go on some podcast and you talk about it a little bit and you get 10 sales, well, boom, you just made, you know, a thousand bucks off of going yeah. on somebody's podcast, you know? What's, what's your course going to be, Adam? Well, how, to be a, how to be a public controversial figure? How to well, handle hate? I have like a course that I've written a large percentage of that I need to just really sit down with that's about how to be a podcaster in general. And then I also, uh, I feel like I could write something really good about how to, uh, basically manage your career if you want to be an artist if you want to be a musician i feel like i could put together like really really valuable like uh banks of information about that shit so that is something that i kind of want to pull back a little bit perhaps over the holidays and kind of work on a little bit because like like i mean to put in perspective like plug talk uh like if someone signs up it's like five bucks a month for the first month and then it's 20 bucks a month after that so on average the average person stays subscribed for like a month or two. So the average value of a customer for plug talk is like 20 bucks. And I remember I went on Andrew Schultz's podcast a year or two ago, and I think we got like 5,000 signups as a result of me going on his podcast and talking about it. So it's like, I went on his podcast and like the next day realized like, Oh, I made the equivalent of like 20 grand off of just going on his podcast holy shit thank you andrew schultz that was fucking sick you know yeah. so it's like when you if you're doing shit you kind of like need to find revenue schemes that are a little bit smarter than just like youtube income you know yeah i agree i, I don't know it's i feel like it's such a grind first thought is kind of related to the marketing of it like even if you're if you're not cutting clips and doing the, as much as you can like putting in that work making the making the shit posting it everywhere and blah 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 you're not that's like entry level to be in the conversation almost and then if there's still so many variables that you can't control whether or not something does well i want to know there's a lot like, of podcasters i watch who i'll start watching tiktoks of their shit and then i'll watch some clips on youtube and then i'll graduate to watching full episodes and then yeah i feel like i'm a full-fledged fan and i know there's mad people like that with me because i'll do an interview in the full youtube video i'll have a hundred thousand views and then the, the the tiktoks and the reels will have millions and millions and millions of views I mean, those are still fans. They're just not invested enough to watch the hour-long interview. But yeah. it's right like there. a journey of a fan. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And sometimes you go back. Like, you'll get sick of watching the full things, and you'll go back, and now I just watch the reels. Just give me the clips. Like, there, there's a couple of podcasts, like the whatever one that you just went on. I do want to touch on that. Um, right. So many more people watch the fucking 
the reels of, or the shorts of that shit then watch yeah. the i didn't full. realize it was like a five hour live thing is that every episode i've never watched a full episode of that show like that's yeah. it that's basically it it's fishing for clips basically it's got to be that their model like that and i i don't know i imagine it's the same for a lot of podcasts where like the clips get way more views than the actual show itself like people talk to me and they mention the clips they don't mention the actual show which is interesting because, to think of because of that there's huge value in creating like really dense informational content because if i do a four-hour interview with somebody that is just chock full of great conversation and, and knowledge and whatever you can't make a tiktok out of that now you can make tiktoks out of the moments but like it, it kind of like the clip era reduces the value of just getting a viral moment and increases the value of having a four-hour intense personal conversation yeah you know? What's the, when you say that, what comes to mind that you've done? What's been like the most educational, valuable podcast episode that you've recorded? Uh, of all time, I have no fucking clue, but I mean, like I interviewed a uh, mama duck, who's basically the mom to FBG duck. And she's like a street woman for sure. Like she knows all about the gangs and the violence and the craziness in Chicago. But like, I don't know, just having a conversation with her was like, I don't know. It was amazing. Like, it was just like super, I felt like I was going to cry at moments during it, but then what happens? Like people take the clips and the, they'll take the most salacious angle from one of the clips. And that's the shit that goes viral. And that's the shit that people are asking me about because there was one joke during it where she was telling a story about walking in on my friend, Jay main having sex. And I said, like, were you a little bit turned on? when you saw him having sex, like, how did you feel? Like, he's a good looking guy. Were you turned on? I didn't think it was that bad, but like, oh my God, everybody getting on my ass. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I feel like you guys are kind of ignoring the fact that I just had like a really incredible three hour conversation with her. And that that was like literally like 45 seconds of a joke in the middle of it. But I mean, you, you take the good with the bad. Yeah, man. <clears throat> I can't imagine that scrutiny. I don't know if I would still do it. Like I, I think I, I saw somewhere like you haven't looked at your Twitter mentions in a minute. I don't know if that's still going, but I like I haven't gotten to that point at all. I see all the shit. I Googled I saw myself on Reddit. The the one post about Canode knows on Reddit was like, uh, oh, looks like Bobby's gone down the far right rabbit hole spewing disinformation from Joe Rogan about vaccines or something like that. I was like, what the fuck? This is a, what a crazy person on Reddit. But huh. how yeah. do you handle it? What's your uh -huh. life like at home? Like you and Lena hanging out. And then are you sharing like, oh shit, they just said this about me? Or do you just put your phone away and enjoy your life? I would no, hope it's the latter. Yeah, that's something you got to figure out, especially when you have a kid. Like, I'm just going to get home and I'm going to turn off all this other shit in my life and just try to be a dad and try to not like, you know, bring any of my outside bullshit. Like if I'm upset in any way about what's going on content wise, you got to really try to turn that off to just be there for your kid. But then even with my girl, like there's just always different drama and bullshit on no jumper. And sometimes she'll come to me and she'll say like, what's, what happened with you and this guy? And I'm like, Oh, that was like two weeks ago. Like, because I don't tell her and she don't pay attention to like the deep no jumper drama and stuff like that. So I, I just kind of like shield that away from her too. You know, I talk about it with my friends and my employees and I don't really talk about it with her, but uh, you know, we go through phases. Like when, when we're like super viral, like, I mean, sometimes it's hard to like focus on like sitting in bed and reading a book for an hour before bed, because there's like, you know, if you're looking at your Twitter mentions, there's like a new viral post about you every five minutes. And, you know, but then at the same time, it's like right now, like, you know, I woke up this morning and I 
scrolled Twitter for like a half hour while I was eating breakfast and it didn't even cross my mind to look at my mentions because I don't even really like want to distract myself with what people are saying about me. You know, like that just doesn't really, it's just not that attractive to me. It's just kind of like, I, I very much believe that what other people say about me is none of my business. And I try to like live that by not getting myself so into the meta conversation about myself. But then at the same time, you know, you do have to stay cognizant of that stuff to a certain extent because of the content and everything. But, you know, sometimes I'm making videos reacting to people talking about me and they talked about me for like a half hour and I only watched like a one minute clip on Reddit or whatever. And I just like, I feel like it's so toxic to just watch content about yourself that I just, I just yeah. refuse, you know? No way. No way. I can't even imagine, dude. That's uh, probably the best thing for your health is to ignore that shit. <clears throat> and I could, I could so easily fill, you know, I, I see people doing three hour live streams where they're just talking, like I'll have an argument with somebody on a podcast and then they'll do a three hour live stream talking about it. And it's just like, wow, that's, there's probably all kinds of stuff in there. I'm, I'm never going to know. I'm never going to know. There's a thousand comments. I'm never going to know what one of those comments says. You just kind of have to like, after a while, you have to accept it. Like, okay, I'm a public figure. People talk about public figures. I can't force myself to pay attention to all of it. I'm sure Kim Kardashian doesn't like lose any sleep about not reading all the comments about her. You know, at a certain point, yeah. you just have to accept like, okay, People are going to talk about me and anything really important that they say is going to rise to the level that it gets my attention. But avoiding that, I'm just going to kind of try to avoid it. Smart, man. And you have to remember like the internet, I think about like, I empathetically think about being you and I'm like, I don't know if I can handle it, but I think you have a pretty solid grasp of like the internet and then real life. Like I, I imagine you're pretty fucking happy in life with Lena and Parker and Life's good. You got money, live in a good spot, but then the internet can be a fucking crazy world and you just dive in, do your yeah. job and get, get out. You know, that's gotta be a, but the, the real world will always kind of like tether you back to reality because I could be having like the worst shit storm ever online. And then I go to my store and it's like, you know, I hang out in front of the store and just like kick it with the homies or whatever. And I'll have a hundred people over the course of a couple hours ask me to take photos and nobody will mention the thing that's going on online or like, you know, and then, and then like, I'll go out to eat with my girl or I'll go, you know, it's just like, it's it, you, you almost always just get all positivity in real life. Now, that being said, I also, I have never been to my store without having an armed security guard, like on top of my every move for the entire time that I'm there. So <laughs> I'm sure that does like mitigate some of the uh, negativity that I might occasionally encounter, but whatever. Yeah, whatever. I want to be aware of the time. You got three minutes till you got to go to your next thing. Yeah. Um, like another 10 or 15 if you want. Nice. Uh, so, okay. I'm so curious about like the process of, because you're at a level of being, I saw you on the fighter and the kid, which I've been listening to forever and love it. And just like the behind the scenes of these bigger podcasts, what, cause it's kind of, I mean, that's a broader topic, but the evolution of like mainstream media and the TV shows are fucking dying. And then these podcasts are where it's at now. And it seems like a, probably a little bit looser than going to NBC studios and having somebody do all your shit. But what's it like getting on Andrew Schultz's podcast? What's it like getting to do the fighter and the kid? And how does it come up? Are you reaching out to some of these people like, hey, I want to do the podcast. Are you getting reached out to? How does somebody get on yours? 
there's 17 questions to juggle. Right. I mean, like Andrew Schultz, I've known forever. I don't even know how we got in touch back in the day, but he came on no jumper in probably like 2016 or something. And like, I went on flagrant way back in the day when it wasn't really popping. And then now it's huge. And like, you know, I just, I went to New York like a, a year or so ago and just hit him up, said like, Hey, me and Leonard are in town. Are you down to have a song? He said, yes. And, uh, he actually has a dope spot right in the middle of Manhattan. Like that they got like a really dope, uh, rental space that they built the fuck out of to make it like a super professional space in a small little area. But I mean, yeah, I, I just known Andrew for a long time. Always been a big fan of him. Uh, even I remember like letting him use my studio to record podcasts back in the day, just cause he needed a studio and shit like that probably kind of goes a long way in terms of just building up good rapport and stuff. And somebody like Brendan Schaub, you know, I've, I just, I mean, I ran into him uh, maybe six months ago on a, the jet suite thing, going to Vegas. It's just like a smaller, like jet type thing that you take to Vegas, but you're yeah. like Uber for jets. No, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. It's yeah. only like, it's, it's kind of cheap and it gets you there super fucking fast. I just ran into him on that shit, but I think I had, I had asked to interview him before that. And like, you know, just kind of had like cool relationships from just seeing people around over and over. Um, the one thing that stands out from a lot of people's shit, like, brendan's space is like right in calabasas and like an office park like all the other spots around his are like office buildings you know like it's in an office building but then his shit is a studio but we can't do that i had to buy this fucking five million dollar monstrosity that we're in right now (laughs) just so that people would be able to smoke weed in here um because that was just like we couldn't find a spot that was like a small chill rental space to record out of that also could have like absurd amounts of weed being smoked by the guests all the time and shit. So uh, he's kind of got it easy because probably almost none of his guests smoke weed. But for us, like I, I literally, I would not have bought this building unless everybody who comes here wanted to be able to smoke weed during the podcast. Yeah. So like how I, you know, I was on a thread with you and Laura, like they have their people or is it you like for those two examples in particular, you're just talking to them directly. But what about other shows? Like, the whatever, no, they, they the whatever shit. They have, they have like a showrunner. So it's like all a... coordinated. So you do the initial and then like you have your people set it up and then they tell you yeah, when yeah. they be there. Anybody who asks me about doing an interview, I'm just like, all right, cool. Yeah, let's do it. I put them on text with Laura. Boom. Like it shows up in my calendar and then we run it. So I don't really have to, you know, because there was just so many annoying things that would happen where like people are texting me, calling me over and over, trying to ask me what the address was when it's like, I'm doing other podcasts all day. I don't have time to pick up the phone and tell you what the address is. She sends all that information to them directly and kind of is, you know, even like you could schedule, I could schedule a podcast with somebody for three weeks from now. And then the day comes and they're like, Oh, I'm in Florida. I forgot. And it's like, she's kind of on it. Like calling them a couple of days in advance, a week in advance, reminding them and shit like that. And you still end up with people who will act like they're coming and then they just don't come. So it's like, if I if I look at my schedule and I I have a lot of times I'll have fifteen podcasts throughout the course of the week and like you know four of them will end up being canceled for things that have nothing to do with me so that's kind of part of why I like over schedule myself is because I know some chunk of these are going to get moved around or whatever you know yeah what about stuff that you want to get on that I don't know you don't have contact with how would you go about like do, is, are there shows are you like doing outreach at this point probably. I would guess not because you're at the level that you're at and it's kind of organic, but I I reach out to people. I follow people on Instagram. I DM random fucking rappers and people, you know, it's like at a certain level, like 
you know, I'm just not going to like try to get on Joe Rogan. Like, obviously I would like to be on Joe Rogan, but if it happens, it's going to be because of a mutual friend mentioning it or whatever. Like I've been mentioned on his podcast a bunch of times. So I know that he knows about me, he followed me on Twitter many years ago or whatever, but like, I don't know. I mean, I, I, like I, I, I try to like, at this point, I try to just go out I go to parties and shit and like try to just like meet people because I feel like that is pretty much like the best way for me to get more more podcasts and more relationships and shit like that is just like running into people like dming people is great and like hitting them up but you know if i go to a party and there's a bunch of successful people in there a lot of times i'll think about it down the road and i'll be like damn i did five interviews because i went to that party for two hours and just happened to make connections with a bunch of people you know yeah no i think there's something to that that... outside at this point yeah, put that in your podcast course. Dude, that that sparked my interest big time. Like those are two super valuable things that you mentioned earlier, like creating a a guide for podcasters and a guide for being your own independent. Like I don't know shit about the music industry. I know Russ is a really good example of like owning everything that you do. Um sure. so the business end, but I'm I'd be so curious about that. And that's valuable. Like you could sell that for a good amount of money. Yeah, I think you need to like look at what people want from you at times and just kind of be like, okay, well the fact that I get 5 million emails or, or DMS every day asking about how to make it in the music business. Well, maybe I should come up with a product and kind of, you know, try to sell it and be helpful. And that's how I started. Like, I, I mean, I've made millions of dollars from just listening to people's music. I'm just like yeah. doing live streams, listening to people's music. I don't really even do it anymore. Cause it's just kind of soul draining and just sucks, but you know, do you like, think the investment has paid off for anybody that's paid 150 bucks to have you listen to their song? I mean, I don't know if it's like that investment has really paid off, but there's definitely a lot of people from Juice World to YBN Namir to, you know, Megan the Stallion who like donated on those streams while they had nothing going on. And then they were huge down the road. And it's like, it's not always because of me reaching out or like saying like that it was the best shit I ever heard. But I do know that like, uh, you know, certain people like I've played their music a and R's from labels and shit were watching the stream. And then the A and R reached out and got in touch with the dude and signed him to a $2 million deal because they were watching the live stream. So that shit definitely, definitely happens from time to time. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know about the Megan, the stallion part. That's wild. Just like, yeah, I remember watching it and just thinking like, yeah, she's, she's kind of hot and she's like kind of rapping good. But I, I like, I just had seen so many girls that kind of like fit into that archetype and just didn't realize like oh no this is the one like she's actually going to be fucking huge so yeah you know, Man, it's it really, probably so saturated chance you know you got to like really be willing to try not to be jaded you know the same thing with bmx it's like you've seen a million kids do a, a fly out truck driver but if you really want to like find the next dude in bmx you got to like just really pay attention and be like well that kid's style is like 10 percent better than all the other kids and you know he seems like extra motivated and he seems like he's he's really like trying to go and film and stuff. So yeah, maybe he's not doing the craziest tricks right now, but he's, he's kind of like, seems like you might have the motivation. Like you gotta just be willing to like pay that little bit of extra attention to people, you know? Yep. Big time. No matter what the industry is, that's kind of always how it works. Yeah. Well, before you go, let me look at my, my freaking list. You did mention you have a 20 person team. I wanted to get into like what your actual team looks like oh i want to know about um what investments are you doing like i think i heard you talking on somewhere maybe vlad 
which by the way, the Vlad interview, when you talked about YouTube titles, I was looking at their title, like Adam 22 speaks on Lena, the plug and whatever the fuck else. I was just like, that's a wordy, that's just the YouTube game, huh? Like, should I title this Kano knows Adam 22 or should I say Adam 22, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's always a choice because like your branding looks a little cooler if you have like simple titles, but then if you're really trying to bring people in, sometimes you need the more complicated titles, which yeah. is unfortunate but uh but anyways the the question is so that was a tangent off of flat tv but uh i think it was that interview you talked about uh real estate and i was like oh shit i know that world a little bit like what are you doing with real estate if anything um not much at this point like me and my girl own our our home uh i own this place and then that's that's pretty much it for me right now i mean i kind of feel like i'm still at a point where I should take my money and invest it into things that like are part of my business as opposed to like, you know, your average return on like stocks or your average return on real estate is going to be like, you know, realistically like single digit growth. Whereas, you know, there's a lot of things that come up where I feel like if I invest a million dollars into something that I can get a way bigger average growth, if it's something where I really understand the industry or understand um, the, the options for growth. So I don't know. It's like, I'm, I'm very cautious or like, I, I have a bunch of money in stocks and shit like that, but I'm not, I also just have no time, which is kind of a weird part about it because I know a lot of successful people who are like, yeah, you know, I do this podcast and I've bought, you know, 15 rental properties over the course of the past couple of years. And I'm making all this money and it's all like, I'm just taking my podcast money and putting it into building this real estate empire. And it's probably super smart, but I also just like, I have no fucking time. Like I literally like every second of the day is booked up. So I can't really imagine myself putting a lot of time into that. I'm also just like allergic to putting time into things that I don't feel like I'm an expert in. Like when a lot of people try to like sell me on different investments and in my head, it's kind of like, you know what, if I don't personally feel like I understand why this is a uniquely good opportunity then I'm probably just not going to do it. Uh, but you know, I also, I run into the problem all the time of my, my business manager telling me like, you have too much cash. You have to spend money on this shit. You're paying way too much in taxes, whatever. So I don't know. And I, and I mean, that shit is attractive to me to like, Oh, maybe I get to the point in the next five or 10 years where I just have a bunch of dope businesses going and I don't have to think about sitting on camera and having all these long winded conversations. Maybe I would be happier if I was only doing a certain amount of that and then I was like just investing my time and into other businesses, but I don't know, like that, I worry about that. Like maybe, maybe having all these conversations on camera is not the move in terms of building the business long-term. Right. Maybe, yeah. maybe you're just still doing this because you've been doing this for like eight years or 10 years and it just feels like the right thing to do. But also like, I don't know, I've never done anything besides wake up in the morning and make content about shit that I was excited about. So I can't really imagine what it would be like to wake up every day and just think about how to make money. Yeah. Which is so weird. Cause it's like the, almost the same shit for you. Like the way you make money is doing the shit that you enjoy doing. Like I saw some quote about like, I never had a job of always just like done what I want to do. And I'm like, that's fucking awesome. And you're at this level doing, I'm sure you have days where it's like, fuck, I don't want to do this, but you're at least interested enough, but I could see you getting to a point where you're like way more selective and like who you want to interview. And it's just, it, you're not relying on money from your face being on camera. Like you have other shit going on. I could, I could totally see that. 
and just the general advice that you mentioned of invest in what you know and invest in what you're interested in and then you actually pay attention to it like i can like i, I can connect you to people in real estate who will take you take your money and give you 10 percent. like i think i don't i don't know it i don't know the actual rates but i know the big dogs in in real estate that i, I could connect you to but i'm not even sure if that's something that you want to do it's interesting i'm trying to like play your life as a video game like what the fuck would i do if i was adam right now well because i was just thinking in my head i'm like if i could choose between doing what i'm doing right now and making a million dollars a year versus doing a bunch of business shit all day every day and making five times as much i kind of feel like i would still be doing this because it's just like my personal type of retardation is that i can't really like <laughs> do anything that i don't want to do so it would be like very hard for me to just do stuff like i don't know i feel like i find myself constantly zoning out during business meetings and important phone calls because i just like i don't know i have the shit that i want to do and anything outside of that it's just kind of difficult for me to put my attention into don't care still don't care like that's just your inner monologue while you're on a fucking business call dude oh for sure i'll be thinking <laughs> of call. like i do not care i do not give a fuck why am i listening to <laughs> inner thoughts can be brutal all right yeah. Um, you can have much love. Thank you for uh, the conversation. It was nice to chat BMX for the first time in a minute. Yeah, dude. Thank you. Appreciate you saying yes. I don't even. I just kind of threw it out there. Like, let's maybe do this. And cool. Nah, because that's a weird thing about me is I still watch fucking BMX edits like every day. Every day a video comes out that I want to watch. Not every day, but almost every day. And I'm just still like still find myself listening to you know two or three hour long bmx conversations that have like four thousand views and I, <laughs> I i don't talk about them with anyone sometimes the bmx group chat i'll like mention something from one of them but i don't know i still love this shit even though in in many ways i've just kind of lost interest in doing it myself but i'm still just like i just want to see what people will do fucking jordan goodwin oh my jordan god yeah he's so good right god godwin yeah oh my god like and i feel like when i i seen him at the oss premiere and i told him i'm like bro like and i start telling him different tricks from all his different video parts and being like bro like when you did the ice hard on that one th and, and and i i could kind of see it in his eyes that he's like what the fuck you really watch this? <laughs> i'm like hey, i don't know i just like i can't stop paying attention to it you know? he's the one to watch that would have been my next question is who are you watching right now but jordan's jordan's on fire he's fire jordan yeah. felix um, but yeah we, we the people in general they just their team is fucking dan up. dude you saw dan crook's latest one Dan's part I, I told dan i'm like i watched that shit like two or three times already like yeah dude really fucked up part it's progressive as shit the like i don't know the clip that sticks out the most to me just like maybe i just saw it on instagram so it's still fresh but the pegs to gap fucking g-turn on the pad is so nuts to me dude it's so like oh, yeah. he's next level and oh, i think severely oh. underrated in the but I, at this point, I think he's getting his shine time. I don't know. Yeah, no, Dan. I mean, think about how long Dan has been going. Like, I remember seeing Dan when he first moved to Long Beach, and we had a Sabrosa flat rail in a parking lot for some reason. And I remember seeing him do, like, bar pegs whip. And this is probably 2012 or 2013 or something. And I remember the bar pegs whip. He did it. And I remember being like, wow, that was that was great. But holy shit, that dude is sketchy. <laughs> Like, <laughs> like, and now he's just smooth as fuck. Like he, he did that trick, but he made it look very painful and difficult. And now when I look at him, I'm like, holy shit. Like, thank God he's stuck with it because he is 
super smooth and just doing the hardest tricks ever. Dude, the crook to back over tooth to hard 180 is just like, what the fuck? And then he made it look like clean and smooth. I filmed him in person doing one of those tooth hards yeah. and it was unbelievable. Like first try, I'm just like, that's not normal. Like Dan's a super, super human. It's that dope. trick in particular really fucked me up. A lot of the, the tooth hard or like the feeble nolly hard type stuff i'm just like how do you do that what the fuck yeah what is your body doing what does that even feel like like a, no fucking clue all mm. right get the fuck out of here adam i uh, appreciate you Kano. much love thank you much love. big bmx cheers man welcome to the end of the episode if you were here for some adam 22 drama i'm sorry but if you're here for some bmx shit adam has good opinions that's debatable opinions are opinions but i uh I enjoyed talking BMX with him. So hopefully you enjoyed listening and do me the favor of liking and subscribing and sharing the show with a friend. Let's, let's grow Canode nose. All right. That's all. See you. See you later. Have a good day. See you next week. Maybe. <laughs>